Well, I'm not going to review all of what we're talking about, but uh, we've been in the book of James. We're going to, Lord willing, finish chapter 3 today. I just want to remind you this much, that James is writing this to the 12 tribes of Israel. He tells us that in his opening. He says to the, his, the 12 tribes. So what does that mean? That means to the Jewish people, Jewish nations. He's writing it to people that, that have known that there is one God. And they're discovering that there's a Messiah named Jesus. And they're struggling with their faith. They're struggling, obviously, with living it out with some of the instructions that he's giving. And his main theme is twofold. One, we are to mature in Christ. And as we mature in Christ, what does that mean? What does it look like? Well, he's, he gets real specific all the way through his letter. But basically, it be, causes us, as we become more mature, to be more and live more and look more like Christ. As his ambassadors, we begin to become more like him. You know, we're never going to become gods. We're never going to become Christ. But we can become like him more and more until that day that he comes back for us or we go to him. So maturity, and then the other part of his theme is holy living. You know, we do have, positionally, you and I have, according to the scriptures, the righteousness of Christ. I take great relief in that scripture. Knowing that when God looks at me as his son, he doesn't look at me and see the laundry list of all of the things I have done wrong. And he doesn't even see when he looks into the future of my life all the things that I'm going to do wrong. What he sees is the righteousness of Jesus. And he declares me righteous because of the cross. That is an awesome, awesome blessing in the life of a Christian. You're righteous. No matter what somebody else might try to tell you, no matter what the enemy might whisper in your ear, you have the righteousness of Christ. We don't want to abuse it, but it's still true. And James is giving instructions as we go through the book of different things or different tests that kind of evaluate and allow us to self-evaluate how we doing on that walk. How we doing. Today we're going to be looking at wisdom. Wisdom. Now, I'm going to be reading a lot of scriptures that are not going to be put up on the screen. And you're not going to have time to look them all up before I go on to the next one. And that sometimes frustrates some of you so much. So I'm just telling you in advance, just maybe write down the, where it's found if you want to, and then listen. In the Old Testament, Proverbs, and you can find lots of verses, I just chose two. In Proverbs 4, 7 through 9, it says, The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. Isn't that interesting, the way it puts it? It's like one of those, duh. The beginning of wisdom, acquire wisdom, and with all you're acquiring, get understanding. Prize her. She will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty, referencing wisdom. Proverbs 3.13, How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver, her gain better than a gold, fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares to her wisdom. And notice, as I read those verses, acquire it, get it, work for it. 
it's, I like it's telling us it doesn't happen automatically. We have got to work at wisdom. In the New Testament, I'm just going to read one scripture in Ephesians 5, verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk. In other words, be careful how you live. Not as an unwise man, but as the wise. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. A wise man understands what the will of the Lord is. Wisdom is understanding what the will of the Lord is. A simple definition of wisdom is this, and you can get it way more complicated. I read up to see what some theologians said, and I couldn't understand it, so I thought I'd share with you a simple one. Wisdom is the ability to use knowledge appropriately. That's it. And for a Christian, appropriately means in accordance with the will of God. Now, I'm sure every single one of us knows somebody who knows a whole lot more stuff than you do. I run into people, just about everybody I meet is smarter than me. But you know what? Some of them can't hardly find their head with both hands. There's just no wisdom. We might call it common sense. In one regard, we could look at some wisdom as common sense. But there are people out there who have studied the Bible and they can quote Scripture better than me by far, but I look at their life and there is zero application. There is no wisdom. They're not applying it appropriately to their life. We don't want to be like that. We discover from James in chapter 3, the 13 through, eight, three, 13 through 18, James tells us there's more than one kind of wisdom. There's two kinds of wisdom. So I'm going to go ahead and read James 3, 13 through 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior and his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James is telling us there's two kinds of wisdom. One is earthly wisdom. And one is the heavenly wisdom, or godly wisdom. And what we're going to do is we look at just those few verses. I'm going to look at three different contrasts that James makes to those two kinds of wisdom. And it might seem like this is so elementary, and it should be, but it isn't. We need to always remember that Satan is a liar and a deceiver and a counterfeiter. He can give us thoughts that seem really wise, but they're not wisdom. They're worldly wisdom, demonic wisdom, if you would. So we're going to look at the origin of wisdom, the nature of the wisdom, and the fruit of wisdom, starting with the origin. This is pretty profound, but earthly wisdom is not from above. It's from the world. 
It's earthly. It's all around us. It's worldly. It's wisdom that's according to the world's standards. And the world does not have very high standards. Worldly wisdom. Wise in the things of the world. There's lots of people that are wise in the things of the world. And they use that wisdom to manipulate and control and to promote self. That's what the enemy likes to do. But in 1 Corinthians 1.20, here's what it says about that worldly wisdom. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? You know, we're familiar with scriptures that say his thoughts are different than our thoughts. His mind, he doesn't think like we do. The wisdom of the world, he says, it's just foolishness. Now that doesn't mean it doesn't make gains for people in this life. That the world would say, wow, are they wise. But we got to remember that those gains will all burn. In God's economy, they're worthless. And that's why it can be so enticing and so tempting to, to get our eyes and even our minds on worldly wisdom. If I only knew what they knew and could do what they could do, I could have what they have. What do they have? Stuff that will burn or eternal rewards. Earthly wisdom, not from God. Earthly wisdom is sensual or natural wisdom. That, that word, it re- makes reference to that, that animal instinct in us. It appeals to our senses, our emotions, our passions. And this is, again, one of those things that opens the door to the enemy to have an influence on us. You know, have you ever, have you ever prayed for something that you really, really, really wanted? And lo and behold, you hear that you're supposed to have it. And it's a train wreck. What happened? My senses, my worldly wisdom, my flesh got involved. And I heard exactly what I wanted to hear. And it wasn't God. We need to always be aware that just because something feels right, it's not God. Just because it makes us jump for joy, even inside, it's not necessarily God. And the enemy loves to get us off track with good things. Good things that bring about the wrong result. They steal and rob glory from God. Feels right, doesn't make it right. And then that last word, it's demonic. That ought to get our attention. It's demonic. It can be very demonic. It is wisdom that the devil and his angels have. No, thank you. We don't want that wisdom. It's that lying, deceiving counterfeit. He is good at what he does. Our own fleshly, sensual wisdom and desires is bad enough. But then we get an, we've got an enemy who's really, really good. Really good at deceiving us. Counterfeiting. It can sound so good. And it can be so evil and so bad and so wrong. The other wisdom, heavenly wisdom. Where does it come from? 
Well, we've already looked at the Scriptures in James so far. In 1.17, it says, every good thing and every perfect gift comes from above. It comes from Him. That's where heavenly wisdom comes from. How do you get it? You pray. And you ask for it. In James 1, 5 through 8, he says, if you're lacking in wisdom, pray. Just pray. And he says, and he gives it. He won't discriminate. He'll give it to us. That's how we get wisdom. From him. Now, just knowing the source of these two different kinds of wisdom should kind of encourage us to pick the right one, shouldn't it? But, James uses overkill, and I like that. So we're going to go beyond the source, the origin of it, and we're going to look at the nature of the two wisdoms. In verses 14 and 16 of James chapter 3, he gives us this earthly wisdom or, or the evidence of false wisdom. And he starts out by saying it's just full of envy, bitterness. Now that would seem like a strange couple of words to describe wisdom the way I normally think of wisdom. But maybe it would help if we look at it this way. This wisdom is motivated by selfish ambition. And remember who's James talking to here? The Jewish people. The Jewish people. You know, it it applies to churches and, and, and our relationships with Christians as much as it does out in the world. You know, sometimes spiritual zeal looks like spiritual zeal and really it's motivated out of a really wrong heart. Selfish ambition. So it's in the world and it's also in the church and we need to be careful because Satan wants to attack the church. Look at the Pharisees. Talk about selfish ambition and zeal all cloaked in the black robes of their religion. Not godly wisdom, not heavenly wisdom. When you look at earthly wisdom, some of the virtues of earthly wisdom, I think we can relate to most of these. Matter of fact, coming out of the season that we just came out of with an election and watching all those commercials, listen to some of the the, uh, virtues of earthly wisdom and, and keep in mind some of those commercials, well, most almost all of them. Power, control, a virtue, hunger for power, hunger for control, power, position, get ahead, say whatever it needs to be said to get ahead. I mean, we even had campaigns publicly declaring by their lackeys, oh, they have to say that just to get elected. Seriously. That's striving for positions. Get ahead. We look at somebody and we're competing for a job. We look at it and say, yeah, we're better than them. We should have that job. What's it going to take to get that job? Well, maybe we should just pray and maybe God will reveal to us if we're the one for that position. No, but I'm smarter than them. I'm better than them. And look at how much it pays. Man, it's so easy to get off of godly, heavenly wisdom and into the worldly, earthly way of thinking. That whole idea of privilege is a virtue. I deserve it. I deserve it. Even when we say, oh, gee, no, thank, no, I can't take that. I don't deserve it. Inside we're thinking, about time somebody sees what I'm worth. About time. I am worth that. Finally, somebody as smart as me. Prestige. Pride. Pride in self. 
Now, I'm not saying all politicians are earthly in their wisdom. But what I am saying is you watch those commercials, they're, they're appealing to the masses. And that's what they're presenting. And then they get elected. In the religious or spiritual realm, it can be the same way. You know, when you look at this kind of wisdom, it was this same kind of wisdom that caused Satan and his angels to rebel against God. Satan, in his selfish ambition, thought to himself, I can be like him. Can you, ima- can you imagine being an angel before the throne of God and there's this thing in you that says, I'm better than him. And then Satan deceived a third of the angels in heaven. This kind of earthly, ungodly wisdom. This kind of wisdom even crept into the disciples. You know, if we think we're above being tempted by this kind of wisdom, you may remember the, 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 the time in the Bible when the disciples are sitting around and they're, they're arguing about something. Who's greatest in the kingdom? Oh, come on, can't you just hear him? I'm better than you. I, did I get to sit by him at the table. I'm the one that did this. I'm the one that did that. Earthly, worldly wisdom. This kind of wisdom exalts man and robs God of his glory. And all things are created for his glory. So let's switch to heavenly wisdom because that other one's really depressing. And verse 17 is just packed with amazing stuff that you and I should have present in our lives. As we become more and more mature, these should be more and more evident in our lives. The first, heavenly wisdom is pure. Now in verse 13 that I read, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his own good behavior a deed his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. That gentleness word could have been meekness of wisdom. It's pure. It's meek. Meekness, the right use of power. Wisdom, the right use of our knowledge. It's pure. It's true to God's will. That's what makes it pure. It's not polluted by all of the garbage of the world. And this is why it's so hard to maintain that godly wisdom. We are inundated with the pollution of the world. Everywhere we look, the pollution of the world. We talk with people. We read magazines. We read newspapers. We watch television. You get on all that social media. You get wherever you go. Just pay attention. Watch how much of his worldly wisdom being thrown at us. And we need to be careful that we don't succumb to it. We want to keep it pure. We do not compromise the truth, for the sake of peace. And that is another characteristic of heavenly wisdom. It says it's peaceable, holding firm to the truth, making every effort for peace. You know, in Romans twelve eighteen, it says this, if possible, as so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. It doesn't say no matter what. Be at peace with all men. Some people get confused and think that because we're a Christian and we're love, we'll compromise anything for the sake of peace. Not true. It says, first of all, if possible, meaning that it may not be possible, 
and as far as it depends on you. I mean, sometimes you or I can do everything we can and the other half isn't re- responding. Nothing we can do about that. We need to leave that to God. In Ephesians 4.15, it says, but speaking the truth in love. That's the important part. It's a peace that we can keep by speaking the truth with an attitude of love. And it's a peace that's based on holiness and not compromising the truth. Don't compromise the truth. Not peace at any price. That's just, that's just the world's way of thinking in so many ways. Just agree with me and we'll be at peace. Okay. Leads down, to a, down a path of ruin. You know, it's sometimes tempting to cover up sin just to keep the peace. God had a better plan. He says, confess the sin and I'll give you peace. And we need to always remember that. Peaceable. It's gentle. It's gentle. In other words, we need to be kind with one another when we're dealing with one another in the body of Christ, but we also need to be kind when we're dealing with those in the world. Kindness, not harsh. Even when we're right, we can deal with people kindly. Sometimes I think we convince ourselves that if I'm going to be gentle and kind, that's a sign of weakness. It's just oftentimes the exact opposite of the truth. Gentleness and kindness without weakness. You know, we need to know who we are in Christ, what that means. But we're also to be kind and gentle in the right way. Fourth one, willing to yield. My translation said reasonableness. Willing to yield. But right away with this caveat, not in matters of truth. Not in matters of the essential truths. There are some things. When it comes to opinions, everybody's got one. Do with it what you like. Romans 14.1, accept the one who is weak in faith. Accept that. There are certain non-essentials that we don't need to argue about, we don't need to fight about, we can just ignore. The opposite of what we're talking about here really could just be stubbornness. Religious spirit. You know, even in the scriptures we see in, the, in matters of liberty or matters of freedom, you know, he talked about what you're supposed to eat, what you're not supposed to eat. What you should do and not do. You know, he basically was saying, those things really don't matter. Don't offend in those areas. But the cross is going to be an offense to people. When you and I stand for righteousness, we are going to offend people. We need to do it with love, be kind and gentle, but there are certain things we can't compromise on. We do not all worship the same God. It's just the truth. There is only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ, His Son. It's the truth. We do not want to compromise on those kinds of essential truths. Peace is not worth that. Full of mercy. What does it mean to be full of mercy? 
right away I thought of that, when, when I thought of that question, it was like, well, I'm always praying to God, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to be full of your Holy Spirit. Then as I thought and thought about that, I'm thinking, maybe I don't. To be full of mercy, be full of the Spirit, means you're controlled by. Controlled by the Spirit. Controlled by mercy. Heavenly wisdom. Full of mercy. Quick to forgive the offenses of others. And we're wise enough to understand that we need God's mercy. And James dealt with that earlier in the chapter. Be merciful. As you desire to have mercy, show that kind of mercy to other people first. And then he goes on and says, producing good fruits. It was interesting in verse 13, it bounces right off of his faith without works is dead. Now when he talks about wisdom, he says, we are to show our conduct, in our, by our conduct, true wisdom and understanding. It should be evident to people. Producing good fruit. Be a hearer, not a, not a, be a, be, don't be just a hearer. Be a doer. People should see your wisdom. You know one of the evidences of earthly wisdom? They can hardly wait to tell you about how wise they are. A good example of heavenly wisdom, we can hardly wait that they see how wise we are because it will bring glory to God. Big difference between worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. Without partiality, I'm not going to spend much time on that. You know, we're not to discriminate. We're not to be partial. We're not to show favorites, not to do favoritism with respect to people, treating everybody fairly. And we talked about that in depth a few weeks ago. And last in that verse, he says, without hypocrisy. That word comes up often. And the word, the meaning of the word, you've probably heard it before. It's like one who wears a mask or is an actor. Godly wisdom isn't an act. It's not a show that you and I are putting on. It's sincere versus insincere. And it comes from a heart desiring to please God, not to please me or someone else. Don't be a hypocrite. The world sees through that. So when we look at the origin and, and we, we spend some time here looking at the nature James doesn't leave it there. He contrasts the fruit kind of briefly. In verse 16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Disorder there could be translated confusion. Where there is confusion, where there is disorder. The the word actually in the Greek literally means Tumultuous anarchy. Powerful statement, isn't it? Worldly wisdom. And if we get into verse 4, when it talks about the unwise, it talks about wars and and fighting and and just all of the, the strife. This is what James is talking about. This confusion comes from an instability. Look at our world today. How, would we, how many of us would use the word stable to, to describe the world today? It's an unstable mess. And if you would 
ask those who have all kinds of knowledge, they would say, we've never been so wise since evolution began and the Big Bang went off. Or whatever they would use. With all that wisdom, there's instability. Why? Because it's earthly, demonic wisdom. And it's bringing about disorder, instability, and chaos. And short of God's divine wisdom and Him entering in, it's just going to get worse. It's going to get worse. And he says, James, it's this kind of instability, it's this kind of disorder that sets the stage for every evil work. Think about that. For me, it's just so hard not to think of the day we're living in and think of all the wisdom that's supposed to be out there, the instability that's out there, and the more evil works that are being committed, endorsed, and encouraged every day because it's tolerant, liberating, whatever. And it's bringing nothing but destruction to individuals, families, communities, our culture. Every evil thing. Reminds you again, he's writing to the 12 tribes. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul gives a little bit of an indication of what this might look like in his letter to the church at Corinth. He says this, I'm a little bit afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish you were and may be found by you to not be what you want. Perhaps there will be strife. Who's he writing this to again? The church in Corinth. Perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossips, arrogance, disturbances. I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of their impurity, their immorality, their sensuality, which they have practiced. To the church, living and being guided by worldly wisdom, not godly wisdom. His church. And then in verse 18, he talks about the fruit. The fruit of peace. Instead of all that instability, all that disorder, all that strife, instead of confusion, fruit. Good fruit, the product of life. Where there's life, there's going to be good fruit. There's going to be fruit. It produces a purity of life. A purity of life unpolluted by the world. It seems like an impossible standard, doesn't it? How do we stay pure in a world that we're living in? Is it even possible? Well, in principle it is. We have the Holy God living in us by His Holy Spirit. Practically, working it out in our lives, we're going to stumble and sin many, many times. Thank goodness for the grace of God. Thank goodness for forgiveness. But that should not in any way diminish our desire to live a life that would bring that kind of glory and honor to God. You know, whose wisdom do we live by? 
Better question maybe is whose wisdom do we want to live by? You know, why is it so hard for us to live like Christians? You ever ask yourself that question? Golly, I, I, I know I've got, the, I've got the manual. I've got the instructions. I've got the Holy Spirit living in me. Why is it so hard? And when it comes to wisdom, and these aren't my words. I, I, I stole it out of somebody's writings. It says this. If you want earthly wisdom, it's easy. No effort's necessary. Just do what the world tells you to do. Just do what feels right. It's easy to do the wrong thing. But if you want heavenly wisdom, it takes work. We need to be diligent. We need to seek this wisdom from God regularly, continually. God, I need more wisdom. As things spin out of control more and more and more and more in the world, we need greater and greater wisdom, greater and greater levels and depths of wisdom. We're going to have to diligently be seeking Him. We're going to be in His Word, praying. And it's hard work being diligent like that. And then it's hard work to demonstrate that kind of wisdom as we live out our life. So that answered my question. Why is it so hard for me to live that way? One is easy. Just do anything you want, whatever the world says you should do, and if it feels good, do it. I am a product. My generation is a product of that wonderful phrase, if it feels good, just do it. It's easy. But it leads to destruction. It leads to unbelievable consequences in our lives. And on the flip side, living the Christian life is hard work. Doesn't have to be, but it is because we've got this battle going on all the time between that that sinful person that we used to be and our brain hasn't been completely programmed yet, hasn't been completely renewed by the washing of the word. You want, to, you want it to get easier? Get the Word in you. More and more the Word. is My mind is becoming renewed. It's there. I don't have to wonder all the time, what's the right thing to do? What's the right thing to say? What's this? What? No, wait. The Word says. God says. It becomes part of us. And we have the Holy Spirit in there, living in us, teaching us, encouraging us challenging us, convicting us to do the right thing. So James is saying there is another test, and this one was the wisdom test. How are we doing in the area of wisdom? More precious than silver and gold, more precious than anything else you could desire, the Bible says. And it's free. It comes from God. But we have to do the right things to get wisdom. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would give us discerning spirits to discern between earthly wisdom, heavenly wisdom. God, we can be so easily fooled. We can be so easily misled and influenced. 
by the culture and the world around us, our peers, our friends. God, give us discernment to know what is your wisdom. God, I pray you would just continually prompt us by your Spirit to get on our knees and ask you for wisdom. Lord, I pray that you would deposit in each one of a hunger that we can't conjure up on our own for the Word of God. God, that by your Holy Spirit, we would have that insatiable appetite to know and understand your Word, that wisdom might reign in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would become a people that would exhibit all those character traits of godly and heavenly wisdom. That we would be those people that are ambassadors for you that will draw the world to us. That we may share with them in obedience to your command to make disciples of all people. Lord, I pray for that kind of wisdom in my life and each one of our lives. Lord, now I pray also for each one of us as we go our different directions. God, I pray for safe travel. God, I pray for there's, there's a number from the body here that are traveling great distances home from being gone over the holiday. Lord, we pray for them as they travel. Keep them safe. Protect them. Watch over them. God, for families that are separated from one another during this time, I pray you would bring them back together. Watch over the family that's at home. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your love and your goodness towards us. I pray, God, that we bring great blessing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.